Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn them to the book of Luke, chapter 22. We will get there in a few minutes. If we haven't met before, my name is Garrett. I am thrilled that you are here with us today. Uh, it's a beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. It's raining outside. Can we make some noise for that? Yeah! Yeah, here's my people. The last hour they booed me when I said that. I went, no, I want more sunshine, which is crazy because my front lawn right now looks like the color of my pants. It's Tacoma gold. It's awful. Uh, I'm hoping that with a little bit of rain and a bit of Scott's fertilizer by the end of this week, my lawn will look like the color of my shirt. Uh, that would be a really, really nice deal. It's a beautiful day. We've got rain outside. There's football on inside. How many of y'all just, just love football? This is God's gift to you. Yes, it's wonderful. Uh, Monday night was together with a group of our pastors hanging out. We were watching the Monday night football game. I don't know if you saw this. It was a great matchup. The San Diego Chargers, who are studying abroad in the country of Los Angeles, were taking on the horse football team that plays in Denver. And the horse football team that, that plays in Denver, that, boy, they were struggling. I don't know if you saw this, but I mean, they were having a dangerously difficult time getting a first down. I mean, just incomplete pass after incomplete pass, sack after sack after sack. It was really strange. I've never seen anything like this before at the quarterback position. And after about the fifth or sixth consecutive three and out, I just began to laugh openly at the horse football team that plays in Denver. And, and at this point in time, one of our other pastors, your children's pastor, Pastor Nick Calum, whose heart is pure, who is a man who is good to his core, turned to me and he said, hey, Garrett, I'm, I'm kind of confused. See, I thought that the quarterback that played for the horse team that plays football down in Denver, I, I thought that he was... He was your boy. I thought you liked him because, it, remind me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought that he used to play for that bird team that plays football here in, in Seattle. And I said, oh, Nick, oh, yeah, that's where you're wrong. See, that quarterback that plays for that silly horse team that plays football down in Denver, yeah, yeah, he used to play for the bird team here in Seattle, but then he left. And when he left, it cut me deep. He left a wound. It's a deep-seated wound. It's the wound of betrayal. <laughs> Nick looked at me like I was crazy. He said, well, I, 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 just, I guess I don't understand. Like, we're, we're Christians, are we not? Again, this is a pure and good man who is shaping and forming our young people at Life Center. I'm so thankful that he is doing that job. He said, shouldn't you be rooting for his success? And I said, Nick, of course I root for his success. Off the field. Of course. I hope that he never stubs his toe. I hope he never catches a cold. I, I hope that his children grow up healthy, beautiful, living, vibrant lives. I pray God's blessing over his marriage. Protect he and his wife. Strengthen their union. I pray that he's dangerously successful off the field in his business ventures, selling weird sandwiches in creepy commercials. I pray all of that. But on the field, I pray that boy never completes a pass ever again. Never, never, because I've been betrayed. And that wound of betrayal, it cuts deep. At this point, Nick is like breaking out the anointing oil, just ready to praise something off of me. He's like, I, 
I don't understand how this bothers you so much. And I said, well, Nick, here's the deal. This betrayal, it reminded me of a betrayal that I endured in an earlier stage of life where I had a basketball team that I was a fan of, but then under the shadow of night, my favorite basketball team was taken away from me and they were moved out into the middle of nowhere. And now I was betrayed by a man named Clay Bennett. No, the wound of betrayal cuts deep. Not only that, Pastor Nick, but it wasn't just this betrayal stacked on another betrayal. It was a betrayal that I suffered as a young man where my favorite baseball player, a man with the last name Rodriguez, a rising star. Now you know why I've got trust issues at this moment in time. This man left me. He betrayed me. He went to go get more money somewhere else. He was supposed to be the future of the franchise. No, Nick, I've been betrayed. And as a Seattle sports fan, the wound of betrayal runs deep. Now, we can laugh about that because it's sports. And oh, my gosh, how silly and absurd that is. But man, maybe you're here and and maybe you've suffered a wound of betrayal. Maybe you had a a wound of betrayal you experienced in in junior high or in high school. Maybe there's a guy or a gal that you had feelings for and you opened up to your best friend about how you felt about this person. They knew all of the the weird little things that you thought about and you, you wrote their name on the inside of your notebook and your best friend saw that. You had confided in them how you felt about this person. But then one day you walked into science class in seventh grade and all of a sudden you noted that It was a partner assignment, and and they were working together. And you thought, oh, that's odd. Oh, maybe they're putting in a good word for me. Maybe, Maybe they're just being a good friend. And then a few weeks went by. It was time for prom, and you were working up the courage to go and ask that guy or gal to prom, and, and you were all ready to do it, and then you found out that your best friend was going to prom with the apple of your eye. And in that moment, you experienced the wound of betrayal. Now, that might be trivial now as, as adults, but I'm sure at that moment then, maybe, maybe that was, was hard for you. Maybe, maybe the wound of betrayal, maybe it's been a little bit more consequential for you. See, maybe there was a friend that you confided in, you opened up to, and, and they took that confidence you had placed in them with that trusted information, and they went and they opened up their mouth to someone else about it. They exposed you, and they betrayed the confidence that you had placed in them. Maybe there was a parent, an authority figure. Someone that you looked up to, you esteemed, and and they manipulated you. They took advantage of that trust that you placed in them, and they betrayed you. See, for all of us, that, that wound of betrayal, it is a wound that cuts us so deep, and it, it can be tricky to heal that wound. Throughout this series entitled Healer, our teaching team is focused in on these different miraculous healings that we see take place throughout the Gospels. And and the entire time our teaching team, we've been very careful to reinforce an idea evidenced all throughout the Gospels. It's this concept that, that spiritual healing, it's greater than physical healing. Maybe maybe you remember this, Pastor Tyler's message, our first week we kicked off talking about a a man on a mat who got to walk again. He's got some friends who bring him through the roof of a house and Jesus flexes his authority over both the spiritual realm and the physical realm. He turns to this man and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now get up and walk. Because spiritual healing gets greater than physical healing. Maybe you were here last week, you heard a story from a man named Pat Lynn who had a tremendous impact on my life as a young man. And and he had this earth-shattering statement that gave me the church goosebumps on the back of my neck. You know what I'm talking about? He, he, He said this, he said, a miracle is anything that God does for my benefit. Man, I can think of nothing that has benefited me more 
than the saving work of Jesus. That is the greatest miracle I could ever hope to celebrate. Today what I want to do is I want to drive home another truth. We see this all throughout Scripture. It is absolutely imperative that we grab hold of this as a community of believers. It's this, you and I, as followers of Jesus, are called to be a people who both experience, would you say experience? But we're also called to be a people who extend. Would you say extend? As followers of Jesus, we're called to be a people who experience and extend. The challenge is that you cannot extend that which you have not had experience with. But once you have, all of a sudden now there is an expectation around the extension of that experience. Meaning this, you and I, we experience the joy of salvation. Some of us remember that day where Jesus interrupted our narrative. We began to write a new story in our life. And and, and I'm so grateful for that joy that we experienced in that moment. But then you and I, we were invited to extend an invitation for someone else to have that same experience. That's called evangelism. This is why at Life Center we are passionate about being a church that reaches wide. We experience growth. The Holy Spirit matures some things inside of us, and and then we're called to extend that invitation to others. That's called discipleship. This is why we place such a high value on building and equipping lives. We experience God's justice, and then we're called to extend that to someone else. That's called service. This is why we make it a point, and we aspire to be a church that loves well. And see, friends, when it comes to healing, the same rules apply. We experience it, but then we're called to extend it. So here's the real question for you to ponder today, and I hope that this would be a rock in your shoe for the next few days as you leave this place in a few minutes, go back to your place of business, your classroom, whatever. It's this. Are you extending that which you have experienced? Are you extending that which you've experienced. Now, for some of us, here's the, the God's honest truth. Most, most of our life experiences has been hurt. In fact, what we have experienced is nothing but betrayal after betrayal after heartbreak after heartbreak. And, and so, yeah, there are some things that we're extending to others, but it's, it's not very pretty and it's not very good. Hey, if that's you, you're in good company here today. The old adage, hurting people, they, they hurt people. Are you or extending that which you've experienced? For some of us, we've experienced some hurt. And if we're not careful, that can be the only thing that we extend to others. But, but may I remind you today that if you've said yes to life in Jesus, we've experienced something far better. And we're invited to extend something far better. Are you extending that which you've experienced? If you are, great. But, but if you're not, could I just ask you this follow-up question? Why not? Why aren't you extending the good things in Jesus that you have experienced? This is a bit of an oversimplification, I, I, I admit that, but probably for most of us, there's probably one of two reasons we're failing to extend the things that we've experienced. Maybe thing one is, is this, maybe you, like me, are a human being. And from time to time, you just need a gentle reminder. So let me disarm you before you start to feel too bad about yourself or resent the guy with the mustache and the corduroys up on the, the platform. Uh, get after it. 
Maybe you just needed somebody to lovingly remind you, come alongside you, and, and say, hey, let's, let's be proper extensions of the grace that we are experiencing. There is an entire community outside the walls of this building, 633,000 people who are far from the love of God, and they are counting on us to be an appropriate extension of grace and hope and truth. Maybe you need to crank it up a notch. You probably don't need to go hold a revival meeting in your front yard tonight, but Hey, maybe you could be more thoughtful in your interaction with the mailman. Maybe you could, could be a bit more intentional when someone's in line in front of you at the grocery store. Are you extending that which you've experienced? Maybe you just needed a loving reminder, and, and there it is for you. But perhaps you're in this other, the second camp of, of people. Maybe it's not so much that you just needed the reminder. Maybe it's this. Maybe you just haven't experienced it yet. <laughs> Maybe you haven't experienced that healing grace yet, or, or, or at, least, at least not all the, the way. Understand the nuance here. Paul writes this, the book of 1 Corinthians 13. This is a passage we'll deep dive into in our next series. But Paul writes this, thir, uh, Corinthians 13, verse 12. He says, For now we see a reflection as in a mirror, but then, speaking of the day where death is made untrue, all things are made right, shalom, peace of God is manifest here uh, on, on the earth. He says, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then on that day, I will know fully as I am fully known. You and I are invited into a continual process of soul healing, meaning that we are saved in a moment, but we are sanctified throughout the course of our lifetime. We are both experiencing and we are extending in real time, meaning for the, the purpose of, of our argument today, there are no experienced Christians. There are no followers of Jesus who have outrun a need of, of God's grace. Maybe you heard Pastor Tyler mention this before, but, but there, really, there are no grace graduates. We never arrive at a point where we get to condescend to others because we no longer need God's grace. Uh, a few weeks ago, my son, this is a really cool moment, he started wrestling over summer doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is very strange having a five-year-old that can murder you. Yes, it's, it's just terrifying. Um, but this was a great moment, man. Ezra, he had been working really hard, diligently following his coach's instructions, and the other day he got his first stripe as a white belt. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Mike's excited for my boy. Uh, here's, here's how the, the, the jiu-jitsu thing works. You progress through different belts and, and colors, but, but the first step that you, you take is, is you get a little white stripe right. around the end of your belt. Right. And Ezra worked so hard, he was so excited. We celebrated this moment. It was great to see him do it. But, but then Monday night, this bizarre thing happened. We're headed into wrestling practice. My son runs up ahead. He holds the door open for me, which was very, very kind. And there's another family walking beside me. And so I defer to them to let them go through the door. And, and Ezra's holding this door open. And he looks at this family. And he looks at the boy in his little jujitsu outfit. And he looks him up and down. And he looks at his belt. And he says this. Hey, you're older than me. Why don't you have your stripe yet? I love my kid. <laughs> oh, that was a coaching moment. Uh, I pulled my son aside and said, son, hey, maybe you were just curious. He is older than you. Yes, that's true. But I'm going to guess based on the facial expression that you made and the tone of voice, it, it seemed like you were being kind of mean to that boy. 
Now, Ezra, understand, you've worked very, very hard. You earned that stripe. I don't want to take any of that away from you. But mind you, your coaches gave you that stripe not so that you could condescend, not so that you could make others feel worse about themselves, but so that you could teach others, so that you could help lead others, so that you could bring another along with you. And, and when you did that, buddy, that's, that's not why you were given that stripe to begin with. So can we do better today? He goes, yeah. I said, Okay. And then he went and like choked a kid. It was really, really cool. It was great. Um, here's the deal. For, for us, when it comes to the grace that we've received, a little bit different than that belt, we didn't earn it. But all the same, that healing grace was entrusted to us, not for the purpose of condescending, not for the purpose of belittling somebody else, but helping to invite someone else along in the process with us. And some of us, we have a difficult time rightly extending that same healing grace to somebody else because we have yet to actually engage in the healing process. And so today, in order for us to become proper extensions of our experience, here's a problem that we've got to tackle together. This is your homework assignment for the week. It's to do this, to let Jesus heal your heart. Come on, turn to your neighbor. Put your hand on their shoulder. Look them lovingly in the eye. Say, let Jesus heal your heart. Some of you are so uncomfortable right now. It's great. Come on, turn to your other neighbor, hand on their shoulder. Maybe you want to apologize to them for not picking them first. Say, let Jesus heal your heart. Okay, now silly business aside, do this if you will. Would you just close your eyes, take that same hand. Would you just put it on your heart? Hey, come on, can we do this? Would you just say, Jesus, heal my heart. Man, I sense that even right now the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to some of us here today. There's a wound that was struck deep in us and it has yet to be healed. And because of this, we are extending some of the same hurt that we experienced. And I sense that even right now, the Holy Spirit is beginning to heal some things inside of us. Jesus, would you heal my heart? Do this. Keep your eyes closed if you would. That hand that's on your heart, play along with me here if you would. If, if in the last six months of your life, another human being has done something that has hurt your feelings, would you just take that hand and, and would you raise it up over your head? Yeah. You can put your hands down. You can open your eyes. Heads up, seven up is over. I wonder this, how did, how did you respond? Did you respond with healing grace or, or maybe was, was your response something you're not so proud of? And if so, can, can I ask you, like, why'd you respond that way? See, you and I, we experience the ultimate uh, healing, the forgiveness of our sins. I'm so grateful for that experience. I am so glad that I am no longer defined by my worst moment. I'm so glad that my sin, it's, it's atoned for. It has been hidden from God. It's been separated from his mind, scripture tells us, as far as the east is from the west. I'm so grateful today that because of what Jesus has done, I have confidence. And because of that confidence, there is no condemnation for us here today. But I want to be very, very careful that we do walk with an appropriate awareness so that we don't dare cheapen that grace that was afforded to us. See, we should not make light of this simple fact. We did our creator wrong. The Eden narrative, the start of scripture, makes that whole Alex Rodriguez betrayal look like stand by your man. 
The narrative of Scripture, it begins in a garden where humanity exists in perfect harmony with both God and with creation. We lack no good thing. There's no sickness. There's no death. There's no traffic. And yet we found a way to squander it. We turn our backs on a good God. We betray him and we, creation, hurt our creator. And yet he still forgives us. Let's pick up the story here today. We're in another garden scene, Luke 22. I hope you're still there. Jesus has come to this garden to pray after finishing a ceremonial Passover meal with his disciples. This is where we get the modern day tradition of communion. Uh, He's been praying in this garden called Gethsemane about what he is soon to experience. He knows that his crucifixion is imminent and he understands why this extension of grace needs to take place, but understandably so. He's quite overwhelmed by it. He's grieved to the point of sweating blood. And, And while he's praying, his disciples fall asleep. He returns to his disciples. He rebukes them for doing so. He reminds them. He had assigned them, hey, would you watch and pray? But but they fell asleep instead. And, And as he's doing this, he's interrupted. Luke 22, verse 47 says this. While he was still speaking, suddenly a mob came. And look at this. One of the 12 named Judas was leading them. He came near to Jesus to kiss him, but but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And those around him saw what was going to happen, and they asked, Lord, should we strike them with the sword? John's gospel reveals us the, the identity of the disciple who's asking this. It's the disciple Peter. And he asks this question. He's in the context here, a few verses earlier, Jesus had told his disciples, hey, if you don't have a sword, you should probably sell your cloak and buy one. So this isn't a crazy question that Peter would ask. It's just quite clear he's confused about what Jesus really meant when he made that statement. And Peter, before Jesus can even get in a word to interrupt the thing, yeah, should we strike him with the sword? And, and so he, he grabs the sword out of the sheath. He extends its hand. It's verse 50, it says, then one of them struck the high priest's ear uh, and, and cut off his right ear. And then Jesus, in verse 51, responds. He sees the situation. He says, stop. No more of this. And touching the man's ear, he healed him. Understand the landscape here. Jesus knows what this mob is coming to do. He'll go on. He'll call out the religious leaders for not arresting him literally any other time in broad daylight. They had to do this under cover of night. He knows that this means certain death. It's heartbreaking what's about to happen. It's astonishing who is about to go through with this. It's the religious elite. It's people that had access to the Torah, the ancient scriptures, the very ones who should have been allied with Jesus, standing shoulder to shoulder with him to see a broken humanity restored back to that initial garden scene. Those should have been his teammates, but instead these are the ones betraying him, about to put him to death. In fact, John's gospel reveals the identity of that man who lost his ear. This man was the right hand of the high priest in that area. This man's name was Malchus. Malchus should have been his teammate, and yet here he's coming to put Jesus to death. Moreover, the betrayal gets worse. You saw it there. It's Judas. Judas, one of his actual teammates, his own disciple. A man that walked the earth with him for years. A man that saw Jesus do the miraculous. A man who helped hand out fish and loaves to thousands of people. 
A man who stood there in that boat the day that Jesus spoke peace into a storm and saved their lives. A man that surely would have remembered the way that Jesus demonstrated love for his friend Lazarus when he rose him from the dead. How could Judas, one of his own, betray him? Catch this, Jesus is fulfilling his assignment. Make no mistake, he knew exactly what he was sent here to do. No one in this story outsmarted Jesus. To reduce this down to just a well-thought-out assassination attempt by the government is to take way too much liberty with the sovereignty of Christ. They were playing into his hand far more than he was playing into theirs, and he could have called the whole thing off at a moment's notice. But yet... He willingly subjects himself to this experience. And Jesus endures one of the greatest wounds that for so many of us, it's the hardest wound to heal. It's the wound of betrayal. Come on, Life Center, today, can you allow Jesus to heal your heart? Certainly, there is an ear that gets healed here in this story. I'm not glazing over that, but the more time that I've spent with this text, the more time that I've, I've just prayerfully sat before the Holy Spirit and said, what do you want us as a church family to know? I'm convinced that this story has less and less to do with an ear that gets healed and far more to do with the healing that takes place inside of the heart of Peter. Now, there's, there's several characters here in this story, so maybe why don't we take a moment, let's just figure out which one you identify with. Warren Wearsby comments on this story. He says this, each of us must decide whether we want to go through life pretending like Judas, whether we want to go through life fighting like Peter, or do we want to go through life yielding to God's perfect will like Jesus He asked this question, man, this is a dagger. Will it be the kiss? Will it be the sword? Or will it be the cup? Where are you at in this story? You know, maybe today you would identify because of your life circumstance, because of some of the things maybe that happened in the rear view, where you're at right now. Maybe you'd sit in the seat of of somebody who you're a pretender. You're walking closely with somebody. You call them friend, you call them rabbi, but really there is an undealt with wound in your heart and you're so close to just walking in betrayal, doing something that would hurt that person that you say that you love, that you've been walking with. Man, I wonder what wound was undealt with inside of Judas's heart that caused him to betray his rabbi. Are you pretending? Is there a wound of betrayal inside of you that has caused you or has put you at risk to embracing the path of Judas? I believe this. I believe that the names have meaning. I named my, my, my wife and I, we, we named our children because we believe that names have meaning. My son, Ezra, the guy who can put you in a headlock at five, uh, his name, actually, it doesn't mean headlock guy. Uh, it means helper. And it's so fun watching my son live up to his name when he helps people, when he makes a difference. A few weeks ago, he woke up way too early, wanted to come to church with dad. And so I was like, okay, you've got to be helper. So he's like, okay. And so he came in here like 6.30 in the morning. He's unlocking all of the doors so that everybody could come into church. Great to see my son live up to his name. My daughter, Eleanor, her name means light of God. If you've ever been in the room when my daughter walks in, she she lives up to that name. Usually because there's a big loud noise, like something that sounds like an alligator or a dolphin, just She lights up every room that she walks into. My biggest prayer is that my children would live up to their name. My greatest fear is that I live up to mine. I honor my father and mother. I love the name that they gave me. It's kind of hard to spell sometimes. Two R's, two T's, double or nothing. 
The name Garrett, it, it means uh, literally, the, the definition of that name is one who rules with an iron spear. Yo, that's a guy you want to invite on your boat to just hang out and shoot the breeze with. Hey, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm just relaxing with iron spear guy. It's, it's cool. We're chilling. It's great. My last name, Werner, means defending warrior. One who rules with an iron spear, defending warrior. Like, I was born and bred to pick a fight. And I'm so terrified that if I'm not careful, I will choose to pick the wrong fight or I'll fight in the wrong way. More on that in a moment. The name Judas comes from an Old Testament name, Judah, which means praise. Jesus becomes, he's the lion of Judah. You can follow this through genealogy, but also Jesus is the one who is praised. Judas's name quite literally means praised one. But because of what happens in Judas's heart, that wound of betrayal leads him to embrace a path he ought not have gone down. He ends up feeling remorse for betraying his rabbi later on, and he hangs himself. Scripture tells us anyone who hangs himself on a tree is cursed. It's fascinating how the wound of betrayal takes the praised one, perverts his story, and turns him into the cursed one. Friend, don't let the wound of betrayal rob you of your God-given purpose. Are you pretending? Maybe you're sitting in the seat of, of Peter. Maybe you're a fighter. Maybe you're ready to roll. I've got to wonder what wound was undealt with in Peter's heart that it caused him to, be, to betray not just his rabbi, not this person that he was close with. He'll do that in a moment. We'll see. But before that, he, he betrayed his assignment. He was instructed to watch and to pray, but instead, he began to fight the wrong battle. I've got to wonder this. Are, are, are you fighting the wrong battle today? Understand, Spearfighter is asking you here, so there's, there's no condemnation here. You're in good company. How would you define conflict at your home? Are you fighting the right battle? Are you fighting with or are you fighting for? Are you fighting with the right weapons? Scripture tells us about some armor that we get to put on, the weapons that we get to use in the battle that we are to engage in. But here, Peter brings a knife to an intergalactic battle for the fate of humanity. Are you fighting? Or are you moving to a place of this third character type, the seat of a healer? And this is what we see in Jesus. Because his heart is so broken for humanity, he'll do whatever is necessary to see broken humanity made whole. He endures betrayal. He resists the urge to fight back or settle the score. And in Jesus, we see the cursed one who's hung on that tree, ascends to the throne, to the right hand of God Almighty. The cursed one becomes the praised one. How could we invite Jesus to heal our hearts and then busy ourselves with extending an invitation for others to have the same experience? How can we have Jesus come and heal our hearts? I've got two thoughts for you. And the first one is this. In the year of our Lord, 1992, in his memoir entitled Predator, the great philosopher of our generation, the prophet Ice Cube, recited to us a truth that we see evidenced in Scripture and in our lives as well. The prophet Ice Cube wrote to us and he said, you better ch 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 check yourself. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, check yourself. Turn to your other neighbor, look them dead in the eye, and say, check yourself. 
Some of you are cringing so hard. This is weird. You're cringing because it's uncomfortable. You're cringing because corduroy guy keeps throwing an R in that word. And you're like, Garrett, in the original Latin, it's not check yourself. No, the prophet Ice Cube said it a little bit different. I'm not going to say it the way that Ice Cube said it. You'll only cringe harder. The way that we embrace this path, though, of, of allowing Jesus to heal our heart, it's first, you, you've, you've got to check yourself. Man, some of us, we feel like we have the spiritual gift of checking on others. Yelp reviews. Man, some of us, we've gotten really, really good at, at being God's judgment for somebody else. That's not what we're called to do. Scripture invites us to check yourself. Weigh the condition of your own heart. Examine yourself. And we don't do this aggressively. We don't do this with hostility, but rather with a calm spirit. Check your heart. How are you doing right now? How is my heart? Am I on edge? Am I irritable? Am I rude? Am I demanding my own way? Am I ready for a fight at a moment's notice? If so, where's, where's that coming from? See, because if you and I aren't careful, we might end up getting in the way of what God is trying to do here. Peter almost blows it. Make no mistake, if Jesus doesn't diffuse the situation, heal Malchus's ear, Peter's probably hanging on a fourth cross the next afternoon. Imagine how different the book of Acts, the rest of the New Testament would look for us uh, if Peter is punished for attempted murder. You and I, we've, we've got to check our own hearts. We do this for our own benefit, for our own spiritual and mental well-being, certainly, but also so that we don't inhibit the thing that God wants to accomplish through us. Don't get in your own way. Check yourself. Let's fast forward the narrative a little bit here. Jesus is taken away to be questioned. Peter is found by a fire. Bystanders ask Peter several times if he knows Jesus. Peter, the one who was so quick to courageously defend Jesus, now shifts to cowardice. The pressure is on and he denies knowing Jesus. He's pressed on this by one of the men. And finally, for a third and final time, uh, Peter says this in Luke 22, verse 60. He, the, uh, Peter responds to the man. He says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. And immediately while he's still speaking, a rooster crows. Then the Lord turned. Jesus makes eye contact with Peter from across the courtyard. And, and Peter then remembers the word of the Lord. Jesus had said to him earlier, before the rooster crows today, you're going to betray me. You're going to deny knowing me three times. Now look at what happens in Peter. Verse 62, Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. The great philosopher Ice Cube reminds us, you gotta check yourself before you're, come on, help me out if you know, before you. The legacy hour at 8.30 had no idea how to complete that statement. Thank you so much for playing along today. Just God bless you. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. But I would argue to you this, uh, maybe that's a clever sermon that we could preach another time. Uh, I'm convinced that the way of Jesus is this. I check myself so that I can wreck myself. Meaning this, there must be a breaking process in our lives 
Look, maybe you've experienced the sting of betrayal and it's now caused you to become a calloused and bitter human being. Maybe the wear and tear of the human existence has burdened your soul and now instead of courageously contending for the right things, right? We, we need people who will fight the right battles. Instead of fighting the right battles, you're just fighting with other strangers by the fire or fighting with other strangers by the water cooler or you're fighting with other strangers on the internet. Maybe you're back cowering in fear, betraying both those who are closest to you and your betraying the thing that God wants to accomplish through you. Can I invite you today to let it break? Because here's the beauty of Jesus' approach. When that healing grace comes in, like a wrecking ball, it doesn't always have to be an ugly and violent thing. When that wrecking ball of grace comes in, it looks a little bit different. Scripture reminds us that it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Now, certainly that kindness might lead us to a place of, of ugly crying, and that's okay. Peter has this moment here. He's overwhelmed emotionally. This tidal wave of sorrow and regret comes over the bow of that ship and it wrecks him. I thank God that it does. Because look at what happens in the breaking. The narrative fast forwards a little bit. Jesus is raised from the dead. Hallelujah, aren't you grateful? He then goes around. He begins a series of appearances to his followers, disciples. He shows up one morning on the side of the beach where the disciples are out fishing, and he begins to make them breakfast. He interacts with some of the disciples, and then he has what seems like a pretty awkward interaction with Peter, the guy who had just betrayed him. Peter, I, I imagine, just kind of sheepishly comes over. He's hungry, and Jesus offers him a plate of food, and Jesus just says to him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, of course I do. Jesus goes, okay. Hey, Peter. Yes, Jesus. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus, of course I do. Jesus goes, okay. And then for a third time, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And I've got to imagine this is a heavy moment for Peter. Now a third time, he's asked to pledge his love to Jesus, reminding him of that third time that he had betrayed, denied even knowing him. Peter says, yes, of course I love you. And look at Jesus' response. He, he says this, he says, then go and feed my sheep. Jesus now entrusts the work of gospel ministry to a man that had betrayed him. Peter is experiencing restoration and now Jesus is instructing him to go and to extend that same good news, that same healing grace that he experienced and look at where that leads us. In the book of Acts chapter three, Peter's now going around. He's doing the work of gospel ministry. Uh, uh, we see this, uh, Acts chapter three, verse one, Peter and John are going to the temple for a time of prayer. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. There's a man sitting by the gate who was lame from birth, uh, and he was carried there. He had been placed at that temple uh, each day. It was the temple gate called Beautiful. He was placed there so that he could beg from those who were entering the temple. Verse 3 says that when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked them for money. So Peter, along with John, looked straight at him. They looked him dead in the eye, and they said this, look at us. So the man looks, he, he locks eyes with them and, and he, he turned to them expecting to get something from them. He, he extends his hand out to Peter and Peter says this, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up 
and walk. And then Peter extends that same hand that he once used to grab a sword and inflict a wound. And now suddenly Peter, the man who has experienced restorative healing grace, is now extending his hand, inviting someone else to take part in their healing journey. Look at this. He takes him by the right hand. He raises the man up and at once his feet and ankles became strong. Restoration and healing begins. The man jumps up and he starts to walk. He enters into the temple with them. He's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. And people take note of this. Everyone around him sees what's happening. They recognize who he is, what Jesus has done in his life, and they're filled with awe and astonishment at what has happened. Catch this. Peter walks with the healer. He experiences restoration. His heart is healed, and now he busies himself with extending an invitation for someone else to walk in that same healing. Life Center, imagine what would happen if we embraced heart healing the way that Peter did. Parents, imagine how your relationship with your children would look if you operated from a place of a healed heart. Imagine the awe and astonishment that would fill your spouse and your home if you began to approach conflict with a healed heart. Imagine the shift, the change in workplace disagreements if you moved from somebody who showed up that was bitter and betrayed to someone who just walked into work saying, I'm here to be an extension of grace. Life Center, let Jesus heal your heart. Come on today, can we experience that healing so that we can extend it? Come on, y'all, check yourself and then wreck yourself and let him put you back together again. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for who you are. You are our healer. God, thank you that you heal the broken things inside of us. God, I pray for my friends today. Would you heal the deep-seated wounds inside of them? Maybe it's a wound of betrayal. Maybe it's, it's a way that someone else had hurt them. God, thank you that you can heal that. Lord, thank you that in experiencing that healing and that restoration, you now call us to be an extension of that grace. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to do just that? Lord, we love you. We acknowledge none of it's possible without you. And so we now ask for strength from your Holy Spirit. Help us to be an extension of the things that we have experienced. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.